I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Manoj Kewalramani, and today I have with me my colleague Pranay Kotasthane. and we're going to be talking about our friendly neighborhood technology giant uh, and i say that with all irony that i can muster uh, huawei uh, and what's been happening with uh, huawei over the last few months um, it's been some time that we sort of revisited this subject and in that time period we've seen there are a lot of things have started to change uh, as the pandemic has unfolded and us china competition has become far more intense in some ways um so pranay firstly welcome to the conversation thanks manoj uh, i liked your irony <laughs> so the idea that you know uh, we've seen like this is constant friction between the us and china over huawei and over the last couple of weeks we've seen much more happen right um we've seen uh, firstly britain take a position on huawei and britain was seen as this sort of middle ground actor where last year you had trump and pompeo pushing boris johnson on things like you need to take a decisive position on huawei either you're with us or not with us the us had talked about uh, threatening to end some sort of uh, certain aspects of the sort of intelligence cooperation also and britain had sort of outlined a position which was reducing huawei's role in the country's 5g network without really banning it last year and it had also sort of said things like um, sorry not last year maybe it's just a few months ago it had made that position clear and it had also sort of said that okay 30% of core components 30% of components can come from these these companies and so on and so forth so it had outlined a slightly middling position mm. but in last about two weeks ago it took a completely different position right it said that Huawei equipment should be completely purged from Britain's 5G network, but by 2027, mm. it also you know and to sort of facilitate this process, it said that uh, any uh, companies which are currently buying from Huawei and uh, its ilk can do so till the end of the year, and after that they have seven years to replace that equipment, which seems slightly counterproductive because if you want to replace it, you would do it right now. There's also reports about Britain looking at uh, Japan's NEC Corp and Fujitsu. as potential alternate suppliers to Huawei mm. um the chinese reacted to all this with deep disappointment right they said that i mean huawei said that it was disappointing and britain would suffer the consequences of this financially you know and i mean the foreign ministry of china even went on to say that by making this decision the uk has and i'm quoting them lost its independence and ability to make decisions on its own this uh, tells you a little bit about how deeply probably this hurt because britain was seen as a domino Right, that if that domino falls, the rest of them would also start to change. So, Pranav, I want to first get a sense of you. How would you classify this switch that Britain has made? How do we think about this? Because it seems rather sudden, right? About six, eight months ago, the case was that, oh no, but we can't do this. We are so dependent on Huawei. Uh, it's so cost-effective, and so on and so forth. To today, suddenly saying that, look, we need to wait, beat it out. Right. Yeah, uh, I think uh, even France's position has somewhat changed, right, over the last few months. Yeah the French position is also quite interesting because mm. they uh, publicly in the last week or so they've said like well we are not going to be adopting any discriminatory approaches towards 
uh, foreign players in the French economy. Yet, uh, French authorities have told telecom operators uh, that, you know, they won't be able to renew licenses for companies like Huawei once they expire. And that is, again, an effective phasing out of it. So while they're not saying it, they're actually doing it. In fact, the French cybersecurity agency said earlier this month that it would uh, allow these operators to use them for about, uh, because the licenses are existing for about three to eight years. So until those licenses are there, you're allowed to use them. So the phase out might be longer than Britain. Mm. But they're also still talking about phasing it out. Right. Yeah. So I think uh, one way to classify all these responses of various nation states to Huawei is to look at three types of responses. And we, uh, General Prakash Manan and I had written about this a few months back. So there are sort of three broad responses that uh, you can apply to the decisions that have been taken with regards to Huawei. So the first one is definitely the economic argument. Uh, which you mentioned. So the case that is being made is that uh, Huawei beats its competition both in terms of time to market and cost effectiveness. I think that is largely clear and it stays so even today. So hence, uh, prohibiting Chinese companies from any market will result in slower deployment, higher costs and significant opportunity costs for consumers. So this is the argument which is being made to say that that's why we need Huawei. And in fact, this line was championed by Huawei itself. You will remember that was this Oxford economic study, which was uh, funded by Huawei. And it looked at the economic impact of restriction, uh, restricting competition in 5G network equipment. And they gave numbers about what will be the loss for each nation state to make this economic argument uh, case even clearer. Now, if you look at uh, segment the worldwide responses, So you will see smaller economies generally which have no geopolitical tensions with China have often employed this argument in support of Huawei. For example, you had this Kenya's IT minister saying in July last year that Kenya doesn't plan to ban Huawei, rather it would choose the option where we get value for money for our citizens, which clearly means that they were hinting at Huawei gives us the best options economically, we'll be able to deploy it faster at a lower cost, so why don't we go with it? So this is sort of the broad economic argument, right? Yeah. Then the second one is the security first argument. Now this uh, puts security as the primary frame of reference. And the argument there is that Chinese companies need not be banned as long as concerns of Chinese snooping can be mitigated by putting appropriate security protocols in place. So, for example, France actually in the initial date took this decision to allow Huawei on the grounds that network projects will receive case-by-case clearance based on national security considerations, right? So they were saying as long as we can sort of uh, waive these security concerns off, there's no problem having Huawei. And in fact, Huawei also used this approach in India, right, where they offered that we will uh, enter into a no-backdoor agreement if India, if needed. Yeah. So in here, if you again see a general trend, uh, richer countries which have no geopolitical tensions with China had employed this security first approach. So responses of France, Netherlands, uh, even Britain until uh, a few days back, sort of I would classify it in this zone, right? So they were saying that uh, we'll enforce higher security standards for equipment uh, vendors, but we will uh, allow everyone in. So that was the approach. Uh, Now, the third approach. Third approach is what is we, uh, what we call the strategic argument. 
Now, the strategic argument poses this question: like, what is the strategic fallout of handing over your nation state's critical communications infrastructure to a geopolitical competitor? Now, if you ask this question, then the answer is obvious that it would not be uh, prudent from a national security perspective to hand over really critical communications infrastructure to geopolitical competitors. Now, three big economies: U.S., Japan, and Australia. all of them who have structural geopolitical tensions with china have employed this argument to ban huawei from their 5g deployment process so this is how it was until a few months back right but what i see uh, is that a lot of countries are moving away from that uh, security first argument to using the strategic argument even more and make it difficult for huawei to play a bigger role in their own communications infrastructure what do you reckon yeah no i think that's exactly what's happening uh, increasingly countries and it's fascinating to me that this has happened uh, and this shift i mean it's important for beijing to sort of understand that this shift that other countries are making particularly countries like you out in britain france who, who took a security first approach uh, if they are looking at it from a strategic perspective today it has a lot to do with how beijing has handled its uh, approach to the world uh, amid this pandemic uh and i think there is uh, really no realization that seems to be appearing that uh, china's sort of policies within china itself are self defeating and they are hurting their own sort of interests across the world because it is their policies which have actually led to these countries certainly turning around and saying okay uh, we need to take a look at this given uh, you know last year when the americans had tried to push all of this uh, essentially the headlines were that the us's push has failed mm. um and now that's actually turned around and uh, and that's uh, so i agree with you i think that's that's the way these countries are increasingly looking at it and that's sort of spawning new ideas right about this uh, special group of democracies which will also sort of collaborate on emerging technologies like 5g mm. um and i want to talk to you about that but i want to also highlight this one thing the more huawei is getting squeezed internationally uh, huawei is as an example of china's frontier tech companies uh, the more they are getting squeezed internationally the more they are sort of also looking inward and looking at domestic markets i mean for example it's fascinating how huawei is losing deals around the world and at the same time its revenue uh, is going up and that has a lot to do with sort of domestic market in china huawei today commands 50% of china nearly 50% of china's mobile phone market it commands a significant share of india's mobile phone market also uh, and its revenue uh, for this this half of the year was actually up by 13% year on year which is another sort of interesting thing of you know how the chinese have sort of uh, blocked out other players from their market so while they may be complaining about you know unfair treatment and discriminatory practices they've done exactly the same structurally blocking out external actors in their emerging tech market i think that's the point that i wanted to make about this guys. yeah absolutely and the point which you mentioned about the arrogance of xi jinping's foreign policy is definitely uh playing a role in moving countries from that security first argument to strategic argument and case in point is germany right because when uh, angela merkel took this position that you know huawei should be allowed and uh, things to that effect now if you see over the last uh, month or so the opposition to this a decision has significantly grown in germany as well so a lot of uh, countries are saying you know how can we even if they give the security assurances 
how can we strategically uh, give way to a company which has obviously done things which don't fit in with the values of europe and germany right so that uh, contrast is sort of getting highlighted more and more even in countries which were earlier at were at the margin and could have gone with huawei or any other company so that is also interesting to watch okay so you sort of uh, gave me the perfect segue uh, countries at the margin india essentially has been a country at the margin in some ways we've uh, refused to take a decision so far on Huawei's participation or Chinese companies' participation in 5G formally. Although informally, when we announced our trials for 5G, uh, you know, uh, we in January, we Huawei, ZTE found mentioned as partner companies for other uh, companies in India, right? So I think, uh, and in fact, what was even surprising to me was uh, ZTE was a partner with BSNL mm. in that list. So that was quite surprising in that sense. But since then, obviously, none of this has really moved forward. So I wanted to get your sense on right now when we are seeing this tension between India and China and India is taking these so-called economic measures to coerce China to step back at the border. What is, uh, and Huawei is sort of saying things like, you know, we're going to see uh, our revenue target being cut uh, by about 50% in India. We are planning to lay off staff in India, nearly more than half of the staff in the country. And it's a significant uh, employer in India in some ways. So how do we sort of see India's policy towards Huawei. What is the, is India's move also, sort of approach also moving from a non-decision to somewhat security-based approach to perhaps a strategic approach? Yeah, I think not taking a decision is also a decision, right? Like, yes. it was, I think uh, Atal Bihari Vajpayee mentioned this in the parliament. Yeah, but uh, yes, India's earlier strategy was to just kick the can down the road, right? Which effectively meant that yeah, we are allowing Huawei in, in the trials. We will take a call on the final thing later on. But effectively, it was saying that Huawei is allowed until now. But now, I mean, a lot of water has flown under the bridge after that. And because of it, I think now India's position would also move increasingly from, let's say, a security first approach or an economic approach to uh, the strategic uh, uh, approach, right? So I think there we'll see some more pushback on that. And I I also agree to that view that even if Huawei is serious about commitment to mitigating security concerns, uh, I think bestowing an adversary with geopolitical leverage is poor strategy. So it's like giving control of a major port's infrastructure to any Chinese company. This is similar to that. So, but we have to take care of the economic angle, like you mentioned. So, probably one approach would be that we shouldn't ban Huawei and ZTE in cheap mobile phones. So, so we should have a two-fold strategy that critical network infrastructure, we should not involve Chinese companies at all. But whereas if you have uh, cheap mobile phones, etc., then it should not be that big a problem. Uh, that can be left to the customer. So, this way we can sort of try to balance between the economic and the strategic approaches. But Manoj, you had written a paper on this uh, a year ago uh, uh, looking at Huawei's options in India and things like that. So what do you think has changed and do your recommendations still hold value and still are they coming true given how the situation is unfolding? So in some ways, uh, what we had recommended was this, right? We recommended that this is a strategic issue and we should not look at it from the prism of simply economics and security. Uh, and therefore, we said that any such issues 
such as this one uh, should be taken by the CCS as opposed to some ministry or some bureaucrat uh, because it is a strategic issue. And we recommended that this is a strategic issue because of the nature of the competition between the US and China and the possibility of this intensifying going forward. What the pandemic has done, in my view, is that it has accelerated that you know what we expected to happen perhaps in three four years has happened in three months so uh, and that sort of made these decisions far more tricky the other thing that we recommended was that uh, we'd also recommend exactly like what you said right you know that there is no need to uh, ban Huawei or any other Chinese company from sort of uh, edge products handsets and things like that those are helpful uh, and the, the risk is very very low from those in contrast, uh, I mean, the distinction that I wanted to draw was that when you mentioned critical infrastructure, what we had said was we were sort of leaning towards a more UK-based approach where we had said that, uh, you know, if we can find a technological solution, solutions where you can keep them out of the core of the system mm-hmm. or where authentication happens, that is what we should do. Irrespective of anything, we should keep them out of the core of the system. But at other levels in the sort of uh, chain of the network system, they can be included. Uh, but that depended on what was technologically feasible, given the security risk. So I think in that sense, uh, we were sort of leaning towards the UK approach, but that approach, our objective was also that, look, it needs to be tested. And uh, I don't know if there is sufficient data to tell us that it it works or it doesn't work, because I don't think that Britain has taken a decision based on those parameters. It has taken a decision based on strategic uh, thought process. So I don't think if that sort of necessarily holds, uh, I still think that, that may be a big challenge for India going forward now, given what's happened in the last two, three months between India and China. Um, I don't think that would be acceptable anymore. The other sort of recommendation that we've made, which I think is still uh, still stands uh, its ground, is uh, that we need to, rather than taking ad hoc decisions about allowing X, not allowing Y, we need to actually create standards. And one of the ways to do that is to actually create a white list of vendors whom... Uh, you know, companies in India can actually work with. And that gives you, uh, you create a set of standards, uh, companies uh, who adhere to those standards enter that whitelist. And that sort of allows companies in India, whether it's, you know, ISPs, whether it's providers like Airtel, Geo or the others, the ability to work with uh, preferred partners, where you won't end up having these sorts of frictions that we've currently had with uh, Huawei, ZT and the likes. So I think those were the recommendations that we've made. And I think mostly, I think we've, they've sort of stood the test of time so far. India has not t- taken a decision, like you also said. Um, and uh, I mean, I want to point out that I did a piece in seminar in July where I talked about why India is not taking a decision. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, apart from the sort of geopolitics and the strategic dimension, it has to do with the debate in India also about, you know, us needing to indigenize. And even if we need to wait to get into the sort of 5G and 6G and so on and so forth. It's okay to wait till we are indigenously ready. Mm. And that's uh, great in theory, but in practice, it's very challenging. And you may end up delaying a lot of things for no reason whatsoever. And the other issue is also just the mess that our telecom sector is in, the financial mess the telecom sector is in, um, along with uh, our approach to spectrum allocation. I'll link this piece in, in the show notes if people want to read it. But yeah, but that was our sort of overarching view on this, uh, you know, as to what India should do. And I, at the moment, I don't know what the government is thinking, but it seems very unlikely that if we are banning Chinese apps on security concerns, that we will allow any Chinese firm in our 5G networks. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if we ban apps, then this is like way high an instrument in that yeah. uh, escalation ladder. 
The last sort of thing that I wanted to talk to you about, Pranay, is this idea of uh, a democracy 10 or a league of democracies, uh, you know, to sort of uh, dominate frontier technologies or to at least partner with each other on frontier technologies so that you sort of isolate China and sort of other authoritarian countries uh, which don't necessarily uh, align with your values and systems. Mm. How feasible is something like this given the sort of interconnected nature of you know, technology, not just supply chains, but also in, in sort of tech research. So how feasible is this sort of stuff? Yeah, I think all those are names just to block China currently <laughs> because of the way things are unfolding. But there's a fundamental issue given how EU approaches uh, technology regulation and how US approaches technology regulation. So I think that is a big bottleneck. For example, what is the alternative to Huawei right now? It would be uh, you would need uh, Ericsson, you would need uh, Nokia and others. These are companies uh, in Europe. And if you need technology approach and the regulation that EU follows is significant, is really different, not just from China, but also from the US, right? So if you want to do any of these things that a group of democracies or whatever name you want to call it, there, there needs to be some harmonization about these uh, regulation rules uh, as well, right? The EU goes very uh, strict on privacy and it all often that approach might impede the growth of new firms within EU, whereas US goes in a different direction. So unless that bridge is crossed, uh, I don't see how we they'll be able to bridge it together. So there were proposals like a US congressman saying that uh, US should actually buy some stake in uh, Ericsson and Nokia and other European companies. But these are just like, you know, uh, statements being made as of now. Uh, beyond that, I don't know how uh, this approach can work. And even if it does, it's not as if for 5G that can uh, happen immediately, right? Because that technology has already been developed, companies own IPs on that. So that will be quite difficult. Maybe in the future, they it might uh, consider, but they have to overcome the regulatory differences in approaches between Europe and uh, America for that to happen. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it sounds like one of those fanciful ideas, uh, which is going to be really, which sort of is slightly detached from reality. You know, in principle, yes, you might think that this is great, and you know, uh, but when you actually come to implement some of these things, it's not at all feasible or at least at least it's extremely difficult to do some of these things and the number of challenges that you'll have to harmonize like I said would be really really uh, difficult to sort of meet all right so uh, with that I think we'll call it a day uh, thank you so much Pane. and I think we've sort of covered all the different dimensions of what's happening with Huawei apart from of course talking about the legal troubles that its CFO continues to find itself and of course the tit for tat of uh, Michael Corvey against the war being held in China another specific issue as to why Again, a Chinese policy, which is self-defeating for the enterprises. All right, with that, we'll call it today. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.
Hey, hey, it's been another great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On All Things Policy, Ananya Desai and Rohan Pai discuss recurrent bans on fireworks during festive seasons in India and discuss possible solutions to tackle India's air pollution problem. On the Habit Coach podcast, Ashton Doctor welcomes Sahil Mehta, an esteemed mountaineer and author of the book Break Free. Sahil shares a transformative experience which became the catalyst for embracing discipline and fulfillment. The episode explores the profound impact of vulnerability on personal growth. Folks, if you like our shows, do spread the word, tell your friends and don't forget to rate and review them wherever you're listening to them. Follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. You'll also find all our shows on YouTube at youtube.com/ivmpodcasts. And finally we would like to thank our sponsors this week Omidyar Network India Abbott IDFC First Bank and Save Life Foundation thank you for making this possible